Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Usually when we talk about the defining characteristics of an it girl, it's tough to put your finger on exactly the magic ingredient that catapults a newcomer to international stardom. Sure, it totally helps to be effortlessly beautiful, stylish, be in all the right places and know all the right people. But it girl magic is in fact way more mysterious than that. The late great Vogue editor, Diana Vreeland, once said, the only real elegance is in the mind. If you've got that, the rest really comes from it, which is where Alexa Chung comes in. Quick story. Many years ago, when I was paging through the latest issue of British Vogue, I came upon a young woman whom I didn't recognize. She wasn't a celebrity or a model or a fashion designer. But even in her then unknowable way, she was already iconic. And she still is. Over the last 15 years, she's made a serious name for herself as the host of an MTV series, as a best-selling author, and as a contributing editor at British Vogue. And on social media, perhaps the heartland of it girl territory. Alexa Chung prefers a less curated approach, skipping over slick lifestyle scenes and jawline-enhancing selfies in favor of cheeky outtakes, bingo games, and amorous odes to her close friends. It's this down-to-earth attitude that continually sets her apart and has made us feel a certain kinship with Alexa Chung, someone whose style never feels overly affected or underly appreciated which is why the addition of fashion designer to her arsenal of skills is pretty much long overdue. While Chung has guest design collections for brands like Mulberry and AG Jeans, the eponymous Alexa Chung collection of clothing is all her, and already much in demand. Shortly after launching last spring, certain tailored pantsuits and embroidered mini dresses sold out fast. And on the eve of her second collection launching, we're seeing Chung expand far beyond it girl proportions. Someone not just comfortable in front of the lens, but running her whole damn show. In fact, she's no longer an it girl. She's an it woman. And even if we can't always put our finger on what it is, we can always count on Alexa Chung to show us how it's done. Alexa, welcome to Unstyled. But really quick, you have a funny story about your neighbors here in New York. Well, there's an older lady that lives directly below me. She's so nice, and I don't know her name. However, <laughs> recently I came back from a trip to London, and as I walked in, they went, oh, my God, here she is. And then she said, she's a model. She's on all the posters, but she doesn't look like one. And I was like, what? Let me explain it, girl, to you, woman. <laughs> well, actually, that's a perfect segue to yeah. talk about the phenomenon of the it girl. I remember seeing you in British Vogue, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe, probably in like a party roundup. And I remember zooming in on you and I was like, who's she? <laughs> and you just automatically looked so different to me because I think that especially in those kinds of party events, yeah. you know, sort of everyone always looks kind of the same. Yeah. And they're always kind of like super styled. But you, even in the very beginning, even then I didn't know who you were and what you did, why you were actually at this famous party. But mm -hmm. I remember thinking you looked really interesting and you looked like you'd styled yourself and you just like really stood out to me. And I remember just following your career and really just being interested in your point of view and your voice. Thanks. 
Oh, you're welcome. Well, I can tell you why it looks different at the parties. It was because I don't think I had a handle on what I was even attending at the beginning. And I was on TV and I just started a music show. And my friend Amy worked as an intern at Luella. And she was like, oh, they'd like you to come to this party. And I was like, I know she makes nice dresses. I can't believe they would want me to go to that. That seems weird. So, yeah, I mean, we looked odd because we weren't meant to be there. <laughs> I think everyone's sort of discovery stories are always interesting. Do you have one? I do. Actually, when I was 14, I took an art class. And then in my lunchtime, I took a textiles course because I really liked fashion. And we went to this thing called The Clothes Show, which is kind of a trade show in the UK and was scouted by my now modelling agent, Sarah Leon, and actually didn't end up booking me or mm -hmm. whatever, taking me on their board. And then I went to the Reading Music Festival and actually eaten some chocolate brownies because I was like, I love chocolate brownies, only later to discover that they were uh, hash brownies. And so I was stoned in the corner of a comedy tent, like <laughs> laughing my ass off. And this woman came over to me and was like, you're lucky you didn't die. <laughs> yeah, I ingested a lot. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so that's how I got scouted. I was just like wearing a flower crown back in the day <laughs> um, in the comedy tent of a music festival, which seems about right. And you've actually told some interesting stories about your experiences at modeling mm -hmm. over the years. One in particular that stands out that you did. I remember reading about it and thinking like it was really astonishing, but also incredibly true and sobering about the sort of disparity in terms of how women and men are treated. Yeah. Well, I was also a teenager. I mean, I started after being scouted, I started modeling at 15 and I was quite shy actually as a teenager. And I think sort of developed this bravado where I would turn up to these places and be doing uncomfortable things and sort of not know how to deal with it. But that one wasn't that bad. They were actually very sweet on the day. It was an editorial. It was just an underwear shot. And I looked around and I was just in my pants and there was all these grown-ups fully dressed taking my picture, mainly men. And I suddenly felt like really weird about it. So I said, if I'm going to be in my underwear, you know, some of you have to strip too. And they were like, all right. And they were pretty nice about it. So I had half the crew like stripped down. And then at the beginning of the magazine, they wrote, they say never work with animals or children, but we'll add models to that list today. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, it was quite funny of them. You know, I had quite an innocent and nice upbringing. And then I was on shoots in London, test shoots. You know, the whole process is quite odd if you think about it. You're going to a stranger's house with a book of photographs of yourself, asking them if they think you're beautiful. <laughs> it's just like, what? I mean, and to think that you're a teenager and then to actually go through that is probably really difficult. It's weird, but equally, you know, that started me on a path that then I ended up in this position where I do have lots of wonderful things in my life. So it wasn't, it was hardly the most traumatic job to do. But I, that said, I don't think I, if I had a daughter, I would let her do it. But you also <laughs> have a really, you seem to have a really strong constitution. So I feel like for you to actually speak up on that wallpaper set and well, say that is like pretty, takes it t does take balls. Yeah, but that was kind of a one-off. To be honest, one of the skills I learned in modeling was to shut up and speak when I was spoken to. And I think I was quite professional about modeling. Even at a young age, I would always attend the castings on time and I would complete the sheet. And I sort of was quite dorky about my approach to it, you know. Whereas nowadays, I think the good thing about social media is that it does celebrate more diversity and is a bit more inclusive. And suddenly these girls are not only judged on their, you know, um, physical beauty, but also their personality. And I think the community would be a bit more interesting now to walk around in. Whereas when I was 
Modeling, I sort of didn't have any mates and I was, felt quite isolated. You also told me a story once. We were talking about how challenging it can be to going to these sort of big fashion events that feel super exclusive. And then you got there and they were kind of shitty to you. But because you're a professional, you know, sort of just like, you know, <laughs> made the rounds. But I remember feeling so surprised that you felt like an outsider. What do you think about that? So I was a TV presenter, right? I got this job doing Fashion Rocks coverage. And so I was flown to Paris and asked to interview Valentino, Karl Lagerfeld. And I was really nervous because I didn't know what to ask fashion people. I knew how to interview musicians, but I didn't really know anything about the fashion industry at that point. Mm -hmm. So I kind of always felt like even though I was modeling as a teenager, I was doing like teen magazines and cheesy things. It was never really high fashion. Then when through television, I got this break into fashion through the back door. I think that sort of established how I felt about my relationship to the industry. I never felt like I was someone that was really in the club, sort of had snuck in somehow by mistake or something, <laughs> you know? And you didn't I was get... like, oh my God, this is a terrible error. No. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and then also recently, Lucinda Chambers' incredible essay that she wrote, she really was calling out the, the fashion industry for notoriously being a whole operation that really makes people feel like shit about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that your new line, the Alexa Chung Collection, is kind of an interesting example of this new direction of people creating collections, creating pieces, you know, that are really personally connected to an identity, to a person's history. Yeah, but I mean, I guess we are at a moment where things need to be shaken up and I don't understand why people observe rules so much. Like, obviously, for social order, etc. But when it comes to the structure of the fashion industry, just because things have been done that way for a certain amount of time doesn't mean it has to be done that way. To certain areas of the world, you still have to play that game. But equally, it seems to me like there's now this more direct conduit for conversation between you and an audience. You don't have to observe the same sort of structure. And I would say, like, you know, I'm frequently interviewed and asked what trends I'm feeling now, or even yesterday someone said, oh, you know, name us six must-have items. And I said, I disagree with this idea that anyone must have anything. So I think that kind of notion that they push in particularly women's magazines also men's I guess is a bit annoying (laughs) I think what she said there was a lot of truth to it and I'm sure she's going to go on to do lots of incredible things but I also thought it was interesting that you happen to be on the cover you know of that particular issue because I think that you are probably one of the most unconventional people they've probably ever had on the cover of that magazine you were sort of always this outsider insider yeah but um on that particular shoot I get what she was saying. There was a, you know, a number of shots that we did that all could have been a great cover. And then they went for this one, which happened to be a sponsor. Yeah. And I guess she was using it to highlight a, a, an issue that happens a lot, which is where you have to make a decision between where the money's coming from and where the creative juice is. And in that respect, she was probably disappointed that they went for that one. That said, I still think it's a nice cover. So It's a great cover. And um, I think that that tension between art and commerce is really important because mm-hmm. I think that as creative people, we need that in order to thrive and function and reach people. I mean, a lot of my best outfits have come out of a solution of having to wear at least one of those items and how to make that one badge Thing look all right yeah of course <laughs> you know no, I mean I think that like, everybody, I think everybody does this party you have to wear this and I'm like oh shit that looks disgusting <laughs> all right I'll put some hot pants on and try and dress it down so a lot of I mean I, I don't think hot I, pants solves everything doesn't it used it? it used to it now sort of just uh, oh, creates yeah. a new kind of 
ass problem for me. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to um, your social following and the fact that it's very reflective of your vibe and your voice. Knowing that you want to reach a consumer, I'm assuming a lot of those are the people that, you know, follow you on Instagram. Yeah, they are. But do you know what? I'm really shit at replying. I don't th- I know you're meant to have conversations on that thing, but I rarely... You work on that. I know. I'm always told you you have to reply and you have to say you know, this First, it's your building. You know, you're not friends with people oh in your God. building. I'm you don't know that woman downstairs, bitch. her name. Well, I don't know. We no, can No, but do you know that. what it is? It's that I... I can't do anything that feels inauthentic. It makes me feel physically sick. And when you see people tweeting or companies like putting a sentence under their Instagram image and it's like, how are you guys feeling today? Or which one do you prefer? To me, that seems inauthentic and a quite cheap way to instigate or agitate. um, Engagement. Yeah, exactly. Engagement. And that's when I feel gross and like a slick brand and I would rather not do that. So instead I'll spend, you know, hours creating a weird Instagram story about a fake band called Chuff Nuts as we did the other day. I mean, like, (laughs) I still don't really think of my Instagram as a portal to sales. I've never done the like, will you hold this Fanta Limon? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On and say how much you're enjoying your summer at Whispering Angel. Do you, like it's <laughs> yes, I understand. It feels it, extremely contrived. Well, and also just like blech, that's the planet now, is it? Like I watched Reality Bites recently when there still used to be a distinction between yuppies and capitalism. Well, scenes in the Gap are so good. Right, Janine Garofalo folding oh, sweaters wow. in the Gap is what a really woman. yes, really what a woman. But, you know, that movie, that's kind of like the last bastion of people remembering that it was us versus them. And now it's all become this kind of melee of it's all become OK. Even if it's a brand you really believe in and you and you love and you have full creative control over how it's being depicted. Yeah, I just again, I just feel like it's inauthentic to my vibe. You're so pure. Such a pure woman. <laughs> no, I just feel like it's like a bit like icky. I, don't, no, I, I see I, them I on underst- other people's ones and I'm like, ooh. I do understand what you mean about that. You know, social media in all its varied forms has become a means of just constant exploitation. Now we live in a world where it's expected that anyone with over a certain amount of followers on Instagram are probably flogging us some kind of product. You know, I think it's good to have boundaries about like, you know, what feels good for you and what doesn't. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure. But there's also given no you have such shade a... anymore. Like people don't think it's a bad, whereas it used to be awful for overexposure or being connected to too many different brand things. Now it's celebrated, right? (laughs) Well, I think that, I mean, I think that's interesting, but it's also kind of the evolution of woman as a brand and making good choices is obviously important for enduring in the long run. But let's go back to the collection. So tell me just- (laughs) Do you like how I'm here and I'm (laughs) slagging off people selling stuff on their social media channels and then refusing to talk about my fashion life? No, it's going to- tearing her hair out. No, but I think that (laughs) there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you have access to 
any clothes, you know, any designer pieces, any vintage, anything that you want. Why did you want to put a collection out in the world? I don't know other than it was a feeling. It's very odd because there's not really a tangible or concrete argument for it. I just literally was like, then that's what I do next. It was like an instinctive sort of, well, of course that happens then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager and I was going to those castings, I would sew my own skirts and like make my own weird wrap dresses out of my mum's scarves until the agency told me they were completely heinous and to stop wearing that shit. It's a very odd existence, this. Well, it is, but I also think that wanting to start a line based on a feeling is actually a very good reason. In a lot of ways, we should trust our instincts more. And I think sometimes because there's a lot of pressure to make marketable moves, your instinct kind of gets pushed aside sometimes. But I think that Oprah always says that Mm. when you make a decision based on your intuition and your instinct, it will never steer you wrong. Wow. I love Oprah for that. I think (laughs) as well... It still feels like fun. I guess we're right at the beginning of it, though. But I just wanted to have more autonomy over my own personal time, have somewhere to go every day. And, yeah, like settling down by starting something up seems like the way to go. And do you see it kind of expanding in the way that maybe like some other people have kind of expanded their product lines into these sort of whole lifestyles? Um, I don't know. I literally can't think of anyone to compare it to, which is... Good and bad, I guess. But like, I just don't really want to have any formula in mind. I want to kind of surf it and see which way it takes us. Like if we suddenly close the clothing part and start a ceramics company that makes ceramic headphones for babies, that might happen. I was going to ask you that next. I had that in a a question. Like, what about ceramic (laughs) headphones for babies? Yeah. No, but Is I that make, new future? Maybe we'll revive pop swatches. I don't know. Or make tiny buckets to be turned upside down for heels. I, this is what I hate about the box, where it's like... You're like an entrepreneurial you, anarchist. Yeah, it just I find restriction annoying, and like I constantly kick against what I'm expected to do. So, I mean, this is what I prepared you know, the company for. I was like, well, there, the chances are... Get ready. ...that I'll probably get annoyed and start wanting to open a, like... You know, slip and slide wing. Do you know what? The world needs more (laughs) slip and slides. I don't know. So when you have like three million people following, you know, your every sort of move on Instagram, do you even need conventional platforms like Vogue or television shows, do you feel like you still want to be recognized in those worlds? Well, it's difficult to say because, you know, I started through a more established traditional path because I was writing for British Vogue and I was on Channel 4 and I had a show on MTV. So I already did the more established versions of what you're meant to do. And then social media was like kind of coursing its way up through the ranks at that exact same time. So I feel like, you know, I have already experienced the more legitimate form of things, so perhaps it doesn't matter as much. And that's what makes this an interesting time. So the collection's out. You're working on the second season? No. we. So the way it worked, so we started a year ago on this. Okay. And so collection one is now launched, collection two... And sold really, really well. It did. So internally, because it's seen out by now, we are now working on season six. Wow. I was seeing the second collection, but you're already on season six. Yes, internally, yeah. And how big are the collections? 
There's like 150 SKUs. <laughs> and are you working with a design team? Yes, there's a design team. But you're highly involved in like, you know, the execution yeah. of each piece. I kind of swing between giving a shit about whether people understand that I'm involved and then not because I give up. I'd get really mad because I'd be working my tits off and staying there till really late at night, getting up really early, like crying over this shit. And then people would be like, but how much of it is you? And I'm like, do you know what? Don't worry about it. Maybe none of it then. Like a petulant child, just like, yeah, none of you are ever going to believe me, so don't worry about it. But, you know, we started with two of us, so it has been sort of something that I've had to be heavily involved in. Well, I wanted to talk about, um, you're in your mid-30s. and Excuse uh, me, early, th- 33. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're right, you're, that's How your early 30s. How do you feel different now, just sort of dating, being in relationship? I've managed to maintain both a career and a relationship. That said, the relationships <laughs> haven't lasted that long or as long as my career has. Why so. do you think that is? Well, that's what I'm beginning to think about. I'm like, wait, have I focused more on that sort of side of things and maybe not been as present for... My relationships. Yeah, I could have a kid, but I'm not so desperate to have a child that I would make any arrangement happen in order to bring one forth into the world. Also, the world feels really crazy right now. I don't know if it's a cool time to like bring a child in. I definitely think it requires a lot of a lot of thought and meditation. But I think that there's so much that happens in your 30s. I feel like you kind of almost become fully formed as a, as an adult, it really, I do really? feel like, yeah, no, I think so. And um, I think I mentioned I didn't meet my husband until I was in my late 30s. And I felt like I had such a different perspective about like what I needed in a partner and also like what kind of partner I could be. Right. Because I think I had a lot of misconceptions. I think there's a lot of pressure in your 20s and 30s to kind of stay on schedule with everything. Yeah. And, but what I didn't know was that when you have different kinds of professional aspirations, it really derails you from that that sort of societal checklist. Yeah. Also, like, love's really hard to come by, guys. It can't be about willpower or, like, how things are on paper. You either meet someone and you feel it or you don't. You can't, like, rush it along by being like, I'm now ready for this moment in my life. Like, I might be 70 when I fall in love again, and that's cool. These are things I'm told. They're like, oh, well, you're too picky. Or you're you're very independent, Alexa. And I'm like, are dudes being told this? this I think is ridiculous. That's, I think that's kind of a veiled insult. Yeah. And I don't mean to turn this into a a gendered conversation, but I remember once, I think it was my mother or my aunt told me that women wait for the right person where men wait for the right time, which is interesting because I feel like I think like a man in that way. Because I was mm. always about like the timing had to be right because I didn't want anything to sort of distract me from establishing myself as a great editor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. So I want to make sure we have enough time. I want to talk about Grandpa Kwan. I want to talk <laughs> about Grandpa Kwan. Grandpa Kwan, R.I.P. Grandpa Kwan was my Chinese grandpa and he was a bit of a ledge. Really? Mm-hmm. How? Why? just remember him being incredibly chic and, you know, his English was... Uh, fine, but not fantastic. But he was always very sweet and he made spectacular food. And his house was like my dream 60s sort of time capsule. Where was it? It was in East Ham in East London, which is where my dad grew up. And he had like a pink sort of shag pile carpet bathroom scenario. And then downstairs, this rocking chair, which was upholstered in this gorgeous blue sort of chinoiserie fabric. And weirdly, 
like two years ago, I went to Liberty in London and was trying to find the fabric of that rocking chair. Couldn't find it, settled on another one. And I was like, Dad, what do you think about this fabric? And he was like, weirdly, that's the fabric that's underneath the fabric that was on Grandpa Kwan's rocking chair. I must have psychically felt the real fabric. That's insane. So what are you using the fabric for? Curtains. Oh, in your London place? (laughs) Yeah. That sounds beautiful. So in terms of just like the motivation behind the collection, it's obviously incredibly personal. I feel like I could see you wearing all of it. But as a business, like, is there anything specific you want to accomplish? I want no one to be screwed over. I think that's sort of imperative. I would like to try and incorporate some element of sustainability. You know, I did a a few years ago, I wrote an article about um, ethical fashion for British Vogue. And there was even then confusion around what's ethical, what's sustainable, and what do these different things mean? And we were interviewing wonderful people for that, like Stella McCartney and... um, Oh, my God, I can't even remember all the different brands. Point being, I think something that people can be timid about or put off by is that once you take a stance on that, you're then held to task over how much you're committed to it. And I think it's fine to just make your best efforts in the right direction. So for me, it's this start is let's not screw anyone over. Let's try and make sure this is a clean supply chain. I'm sure different things will crop up in the years to come where something fucks up and things don't go the right way. But... I think it's okay to just try and do your bit for something. I do too. And I think that you had also mentioned to me that you were having like a really hard time like getting some of the knitwear right and you wanted the quality to be really good. And I think that your interest in creating items that you'll have for a while is the direction that I think that some people need to more consciously sort of consider. But that's just the way I've always shopped. So it just seemed like the type of clothes I wanted to make. Is that why you like vintage? I like vintage because it's like a portal to history. And I like vintage because it's just, you know, obviously quite f- frequently it will be a one-of-a-kind item. And I'm a one-of-a-kind kind of gal. <laughs> no, I just, I've always hated wearing anything that anyone else has on. So I like vintage because it's a little treasure hunt and you have to get there first and collect the mushroom. I love talking to you, Alexa. I love talking to you. I'm very, I feel like I wasn't very funny. I apologize. You were hilarious. I would always rather be funny than anything else. No, you're very funny. And, um, and I think you're super inspiring and I love your new collection and I know our audience will too. And thank you for being a guest on Unstyled. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I hope you're inspired after hearing Alexa's story. For even more Unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more, and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Sarah Bernard, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Elizabeth Kiefer. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. We'll see you back here next Monday with former supermodel and forever activist Bethann Hardison on the power to drive racial diversity on the runways. 